Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good to see all of you here worshiping um, with us today. I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and this weekend I get the privilege of speaking to all nine of our weekend worship services. So welcome, Bonnie Oaks, all of you at North Ottawa, those of you at um, St. Elmo, Creekside. So glad that you're here today. This is what I want to encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and turn in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, you go, is that really a book? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. And in fact, it's real easy to go find it. You can go to Matthew and go back five books, and you'll find the book of Habakkuk. Um, you can also do this besides taking out your scriptures. You may want to take out these Bible study outlines where you can follow along and take notes as we study God's word together. As you know, we've been in a series called 21 Days of Thanksgiving. And what we've been doing is I've sort of issued you this 21 Day of Thankfulness Challenge. Because we're learning that we don't just have an attitude of gratitude. No, you have to have the actions of thanksgiving. That's how you're really changed. In fact, that's why we said we'd love for you to have a gratitude journal for 21 days, write down for 21 days things you're thankful for, and then express those to God, and then actually write thank you notes to people, because it's in the actions of gratitude that you are literally changed. Science has proven that you know what happens when you have actions of gratitude? Your brain is literally rewired. It starts rewiring itself within 21 days if you'll just have the actions of gratitude that you'll actually start being more joyful in life. And so these are incredible principles we've been studying over the last several weeks. But today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how can you be thankful even whenever it's hard? How can you be thankful when you're suffering? How can you be thankful and grateful when you're going through a difficult time? And I believe that everybody here, everybody's coming in this room with a little bit of baggage, You got some things in your life that maybe aren't all that great. And maybe you're going through a season of suffering. Maybe it's physical suffering. 
Or maybe emotionally, you're just wiped out. Or relationally, things have gone sour. Or financially, you're just barely making it. I don't know what you may be walking through, but I know this, that God can enable you to be thankful and praise Him even in the difficult times. You go, how? Well, that's what we're going to discover in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to be, it's a small little book of three chapters. We're going to survey the first two chapters, but we're really hone in on the last chapter. And really, the book of Habakkuk does this. He asks some really tough questions. Now, you and I, we ask questions, but they may not be all that tough. I mean, I have questions like this. Um, Okay, why do we say the alarm goes off when it comes on? Ever think about that? Why do you drive on a parkway but park on the driveway? Does that make sense to anybody? Why do we say, you know what, I sleep like a baby, and yet everybody knows that babies wake up every two or three hours, right? I mean, those are the kind of questions that we sometimes contemplate, but that's not the kind of questions that Habakkuk was dealing with. No, Habakkuk, you know what he dealt with? He dealt with questions like, God, why is there pain and evil in this world? God, why is it that the righteous, you know, seem to be suffering and the unrighteous seem to be prospering? God, why is that? And so we have these really difficult times in our life, but I've discovered something. That so many times when we're going through a season of suffering, we have this why question. We're like, God, why, why, why? And we somehow think this. We think that if God could somehow answer our why question, then we'd be okay. But this is what I've discovered. In those few times that I've actually got the answer to the why, it makes no difference. Because you know what you need in your season of suffering? It's not to have the question why answered. What you need most in your life is hope. And in the book of Habakkuk, God gives us hope in those seasons of suffering in our life. Now, let me set this up for you. The book of Habakkuk was written about 600 B.C., and um, it was in a season of time that the nation of Israel was in a rebellion against God. I mean, basically, the politicians and those in leadership were corrupt. You had evil people doing evil things. They were doing evil, bad things to good people. And even the good people were not that good. It's a lot like today, right? I mean, so that's basically us, right? And so God speaks to his prophet Habakkuk and says, I'm a righteous, holy God, and I'm just. And so I must bring judgment on the nation of Israel. And Habakkuk responds, God, I get it. You're a holy, righteous God. Of course you're going to bring justice. But then God says to Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians in to punish my people for their rebellion. And Habakkuk goes, whoop, time out. Wait a minute. The Babylonians, they are evil, 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 evil. God, I don't get that. That doesn't seem fair. God, how can you take people more wicked than us to punish us? Shouldn't you punish them first, right? And that's sort of his kind of questions. And in essence, what God says for the next two chapters, God says, will you trust me? Habakkuk, I'm good. I'm God. I'm in control. Justice will roll. You may not see it in the way that you want to see it, but I'm a righteous God and justice will happen on my timetable. I don't know about you, there's plenty of times in my life that, you know, I want justice to happen a certain way, and it doesn't always happen in my timetable. I heard a story about, I don't know if you heard about this Iraqi terrorist, Kayai Rajat. He sent a letter bomb, but he failed to put the proper amount of postage on it. So it was returned to sender. 
And carelessly, he didn't realize it was his letter bomb that he opened up and blew himself up. I hear that story and go, yes. That's the way it's supposed to happen. That's the way justice is supposed to roll. I would love if it happened like that all the time. And God says, no, no, no. It doesn't always happen on our timetable. And so what we've got to learn to do as we're waiting on God to bring about his promises, we've got to do just that. We have to wait. And so you end chapter 2 with an amazing statement from Habakkuk. And it's this. Look at it. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. He writes this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In essence, be still and know he's God. God's on the throne. He's still Lord God. And what we've got to do is be silent, be still before him. What does that mean? That means it's in those moments you press into God. It's in those moments of solitude that you, you know, you wait on the Lord. And I'm telling you, it's in those moments when God does his supernatural work in your life that enable you to make it through the season of suffering you're about to go through. Because here's the key. In fact, jot this on your outline. The key to enduring suffering is getting God's perspective. The key to enduring suffering is getting God's perspective. You see, your problem is not your main problem. Your problem is how you see your problem. That's your problem. Did you follow that? (laughs) What what I'm saying is, is that when you're going through a season of suffering, you need to get God's perspective on that. I mean, notice how the apostle Paul puts this in Romans chapter eight, verse 18. Paul says this, for I consider, say that word consider with me, consider. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And you're Alan, circle the word considered. It's, it's a mathematical word. It's an accounting word. It means to recalculate. It means to analyze. It means to rethink. And so whenever you're going through a season of suffering, you have to recalculate it. You got to analyze it. You got to think about it. You got to say, God, I need your perspective in this season of suffering. Now, whenever I lived for years in um, Dallas, um, the Dallas Metroplex, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex is notorious for just terrible traffic. And there's those times that I'd be traveling to school and I'd be stuck in traffic for this, you know, it, was, you know just, it seemed like hours. And you're stuck there. But they had one thing in the Metroplex. They had these traffic helicopters, right? And they had these traffic helicopters all over the Metroplex, and you turn on the radio, and you're stuck in traffic, and you know what? You start hearing a perspective that you can't see. You're stuck in traffic. You don't know what's happening, and yet you hear this perspective from these guys that are above it all. And they'll say, okay, this is where the accident's at. This is how long the delay is going to be. This is an alternative route. And so suddenly... Maybe you don't go any faster, and yet because you now have perspective, you're able to endure that difficult circumstance. Does that make sense? That's what God says. God says you're going to go through season of suffering, and if you look at it just from your perspective, you're going to get stuck. And so what you need to do is look at it from God's perspective. Now, some of you may go, well... I think there's times in my life, there's, there's no way I could ever be thankful in this situation I'm going with. I can't be thankful in this situation. You know what? I believe that I can make every one of you thankful in your present circumstances within 24 hours. Now, it would be a brutal 24 hours, but I could make you thankful. I could have a lawyer call you and tell you that you're being sued for everything you've got. And then I could have your, you know, your doctor call you and say, you know what, they missed something in your last test and you're terminal and you've only got a few months. 
And then I have a trusted friend call you and go, you know what, your best friend or your family member has died tragically in this accident. And suddenly your world has been turned upside down for 24 hours. And then I come to you and say, guess what, none of that's true. You still have your finances, you still have your health, you still have your loved one, and after you catch your breath and probably punch me in the face, you will then be extremely thankful. And guess what? Your circumstances had never changed. The only thing that changed was your perspective changed. Well, that's exactly what happened to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is griping and complaining and questioning God in chapter one, but then in chapter three, we have one of the most beautiful songs of praise written in, in the entire scriptures, and nothing has changed. The only thing that changed is Habakkuk's perspective. And so what I want to do today is I want you to understand how he did that. And there's three principles that I want you to jot down on your outline that we're going to discover from Habakkuk chapter 3. So jot this down. Number one, first of all, you need to remember what God has done in the past. If you want to make it through your present circumstances, you got to get your focus off your present circumstances and remember the faithfulness of God in the past. Notice how Habakkuk did this. He recalls the first half of chapter three, he's recalling all the things that God's done in the past in Israel. Look at verse two. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. He says, like, God, I've heard of your miracles. I've heard about your glory. I've heard about your power. I've heard about your deliverance of your people. I've heard how you stepped in and delivered at just the right moment. Oh, God, I've heard about that. I've never seen it. I'd love to see it, right? And look at the rest of the verse, verse 2. It says, oh, Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. In your outline, circle the word renew. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, would you do it in my day? Probably every one of you have gone through seasons in your past and you look back and go, you know, I feel closer to God back then than I do right now. And if that's you, you know what your prayer can be? God, would you renew it in this day? God, the intimacy that I felt back then, God, I want that now. Would you please renew it in this day? And so what Habakkuk does is Habakkuk says, okay, God, I know you worked these specific ways in the past. Would you please do it again? And then he just reminds himself of the incredible power and awesome work of God. I put it on your outline, three things that he reminds us of. First of all, he says this. He, remind, he thinks about the plagues of Egypt. The plagues of Egypt. I mean, think about it. For 400 years, the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt. Man, that's a long time to wait on God, Right? And then whenever God showed up, oh my goodness, did he show up? Look at it in verse five. Plagues went before him, pestilence followed his steps. I mean, goodness, by the time God was done with the Egyptians, they were like, get out of here. We don't want you as slaves anymore. And then he gives a second example. He says, okay, God, will you please deliver us like you did, you know, the people in Egypt. And he gives a second example. He says, the power of Mount Sinai. Whenever God gave the Ten Commandments, oh my goodness, that was an incredible day. Look at verse 6. He stood and shook the earth. The ancient mountains crumbled. If you're familiar with the book of Exodus, whenever God came down on Mount Sinai, he covered it with his Shekinah glory. There was an earthquake. There was lightning and thunder. The people below at the mountain were so fearful because they were hearing the very voice of God. And here is Habakkuk going, God, I heard about that. Would you show up with that kind of power in my day? And then he gives a third example. 
the parting of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. Verse 8, he says, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious, victorious chariots? I mean, you know this story. God's delivering his people from Egypt. There they are. They come to the Red Sea. You know, they're hemmed in. They've got the mountains on either side. You got the chariots of the Egyptian army coming behind them. And then God parts the Red Sea, right? And then all of God's people go across on dry land. But then that group of people, those, those Jews, they were unbelievers. And what happened? Because they're griping and complaining, those whiners died in the desert. And God raised up another generation to bring into the promised land. And then God performed a very similar miracle. You see that in the book of um, Joshua. What happens is, is basically you had the Jordan River. It was at flood stage, and God literally parts the Jordan River and allows his people to cross over on dry land. And here is Habakkuk going, God, I heard about the way you worked, the way you provided. Could you do that again? You see, what often happens, we get in the pit of despair and discouragement when we're going through difficult times, and we focus on that. And Habakkuk says, hey, in those times, you need to recall, you need to remember. I can remember. I mean, I I think back of my Christian life. As a young man, I came to faith. I, I left Florida to move to Texas to go to school. I didn't have a job. I didn't know anyone. As an alcoholic, I'd flunked out of college in Florida, and so then I moved to, moved to Texas. You know what God did? God gave me a job. God gave me friends, an incredible small group. Met my wife, who is incredibly the gift of my life. I started making straight A's in college. I think my wife had most to do with that, you know. And then I look back and see seasons in my time where I'm like, man, there were seasons where we were just barely making it financially and how are we going to pay that bill? And then God shows up at just the right moment and takes care of a need. Or think of seasons when my kids were in a season of rebellion and you're going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And God brings repentance and brings them back. Or those seasons in mine and Susan's marriage where, you know what, our marriage was virtually emotionally dead and God renews the joy and the love we had again. God did that. And whenever you go through seasons of difficulty, you remind yourself of God's faithfulness of what he's done in the past. Now, you may be here and you're like, well, Pastor Tony, I don't have any stories like that. Well, there's only one of two reasons if you don't have any stories of God's faithfulness in your past. It's either one, you've never endured any difficulties in your life, or two, during that difficulty, rather than pressing into the Lord, you walked away from the Lord. Because if you will press into the Lord during the difficulties of life, you will have a story of his faithfulness. Our God is always, always, always faithful. And so what often happens is when you're going through a season of suffering, all you can focus on is the suffering. And what Habakkuk's telling you is get your eyes out of the pit and lift your eyes up to your God. Your God is good, he is great, he is faithful. And so the first thing that Habakkuk does is he chooses to remember what God's done in the past. But there's a second way you make it through the storms of life, and it's this. Jot this down. Number two is this. Resolve to wait on God for the future. Resolve to wait on God for the future. Now, God's already told Habakkuk that rough days are coming to his nation, The Babylonians are coming. They're going to take them into captivity. I mean, basically what he's got to predict to the people is the first Holocaust. This is not going to be good times. In fact, 
He doesn't know whether he and his family's even going to survive what they're about to endure. And so look at what he says, verse 16. He says this, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In your outline circle, wait patiently. Now, is waiting hard? You bet it is. In our culture today, nobody likes to wait. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait at the doctor's office. I don't like to wait in line. I hate to wait on slow internet. I mean, goodness gracious, we just hate to wait. We don't like to wait. We're very impatient people. And yet, what we have to do is we have to wait on the Lord. And God's timetable is not our timetable. God's eternal. And we want things to happen quickly. And God says, you're going to wait on me. But here's the miracle of waiting on the Lord. It is during that waiting that God does his greatest work. It is during that moment when you're pressing into the Lord and waiting on the Lord that God causes us to let go of control. It's in the waiting that basically what happens is is that we learn to take those burdens and release them to the Lord. It is during the waiting that we learn how to pray It's during the waiting that we actually hear God speak to our heart. It's in the waiting that God often softens our heart. It's in the waiting that we get God's perspective. And so here is Habakkuk saying, you know what? I know bad times are coming, but even though bad times are coming, God, I'm still going to choose to trust you and wait on you. God, I'm going to trust you. I I think that one of the greatest examples of this is found in the Old Testament with the story of Job. You know his story, right? I mean, goodness gracious, Job, literally, all his children are killed. Imagine that. I mean, his finances, boom, all stolen. His health immediately taken from him. And, and how does he respond? I don't know how most of us would respond. I know how Job responded. Look at it. Job chapter one, verse 21. He says, naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's amazing faith, folks. That's saying, God, I'm gonna trust you even though everything in my life has been taken from me. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever life is getting tough, I want to control it, and I want to make it work out. I want things to you know, be fixed my, on my timetable. I can remember a number of years back, and there was a, a guy in our church that began to really sharply criticize me. He, he um, you know, belittled and criticized me as a pastor, as a preacher, as a person, started a little schism within our church. I mean, a number of people left, and I mean, I wanted to just, you know, rail on him and, you know, defend myself and, and you, know, you know, expose him. Or I wanted to do all those kind of things. And as I just pressed into the Lord, it was like the Lord was saying, Tony, just wait on me. Trust me. My way's better than your ways. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to just wait on you. I'm not going to defend myself. And it was like God just says, you do what's right. You do good. You show love. Let me handle this. I did. Six months later, the man died of a sudden heart attack. Now, I'm not saying God's gonna kill all your enemies, okay? Don't hear that. But God showed me something that moment. Tony, I can handle this. You can trust me with your life. I really am God. You can trust me. 
And that's the way it is with you. You've got to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to press into you. I'm going to believe in you even in the storms. God, whatever happens in the future, I'm going to wait on you. But then, okay, first, remember what God said in the past. Wait on God in the future. But then there's a third critical choice you've got to make. And it's this, jot this down. You choose to rejoice in God despite the present. You choose to rejoice in God despite the present. And so what we have here is we have one of the greatest declarations of faith, other than Job, found in the entire Bible. It's chapter three. It's actually chapter three is a song, and I love that it's a song because it's a language of love to God. And look at what he says in verse 17 of chapter three of Habakkuk. He says this, though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. In your outline, circle the word rejoice. You go, rejoice? Rejoice in what? I mean, this guy lived in an agrarian society. He was a farmer. And when you got no figs and no grapes and no olives and no crops and no animals, you got no food. You're going to starve to death. And he says, even if all those things happen to me, God, I'm going to still rejoice in you. I'm going to still praise you. Now, I mean, in your life, it may sound like this. God, even though I raise my kids to know better and they're making crazy choices right now, I'm going to still praise you and rejoice in you. Or, God, even though I prayed for healing and they've gotten worse, God, I'm still going to praise you and worship you right now. God, even though financially things are tight and I don't know how we're going to pay that bill, God, I'm going to choose to worship and adore you even right now. I don't understand it, but God, you are worthy of praise. That's the choice we all have to make. You see, every one of us, every day, you're invited to two parties. The first party is this party, a pity party. You are cordially invited to a pity party. Self-indulge, date and time, any day, any time. Bring your spirit of discontentment, your negative attitude, a detailed list of everything that's wrong with your life. And if you show up at a pity party, you know what? The joy of the Lord will be gone from your life. But you've got another party that you're invited to. It is a praise party. And God invites you every day to a praise party. And God asks you to put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And God asks you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And God asks you to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God is inviting you to a praise party. And I guarantee whenever you choose to praise God in the midst of suffering, that's when God shows up. I mean, suddenly, in those moments, whenever you express faith and praise and thanksgiving, even in the midst of sorrow and pain, I'm telling you, that's when God becomes most real to you. That's whenever you sense his presence, his power, his peace, his perspective. You gain it all whenever you choose to praise him in the midst of difficult circumstances. But you've got to make the choice. I see it all the time. Difficult circumstances hit us. And I can see two different people respond differently. Some press into God, some push God away. 
I mean, think of it like this. Imagine that, you know, I've got some boiling water up here. And I got this boiling water and I I put different things in it, okay? I can put an egg in boiling water. And then maybe I'll put, um, you know, carrots in boiling water. Or I can put um, some coffee in some boiling water. And you know what's going to happen? Same circumstance, same boiling water, but what happens? The egg becomes hardened. The carrots become mushy. And the coffee becomes a sweet aroma and tastes awesome, right? It's the same way with you. Circumstances of life are going to hit me and you. All of us in this room are going to have the difficult circumstances of your life. It's what you bring to it. It's your attitude and what you choose to believe and do during those moments. And so either you're going to be hardened or you're going to become a sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. I've seen it all the time. You know, during the circumstances of life, people either become bitter or they become better. They either push God away or they press into God. You know, I've discovered this, that the, the bottom line is, is that, you know how we become most intimate with God? It's not during the blessings. You know when we become most intimate with God? It's during the hard times. It's during the strife or the poverty or the sickness And the loss, and it's in those moments that we have to press into God because, you know what, everything else is gone and all I've got is Jesus. And that's when you discover Jesus is enough. And you go, how do you do that? If if, if Habakkuk has lost everything, how can he still find joy and rejoice in the Lord? Well, he tells us two things that he finds joy in. And I want you to jot it on your outline. Number one is this, first of all, You're rejoicing in the Lord's salvation. You're rejoicing in the Lord's salvation. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God. Look at it, my Savior. In your outline, circle the word Savior there. Can I tell you something? If God never does another thing for you other than save your soul, he's done enough. I mean, think about it. Think about the incredible love of God, that God loves you so much that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, into your brokenness to live the life that you wouldn't live, to die the death that you deserve. He died on the cross for your sins and then rose again to give you eternal life. And if God has forgiven you of your sins and given you eternal life, you have something that you can praise Jesus for for all eternity. God doesn't do another thing. He's done enough. He is worthy of praise. Why? He says, he's my savior. But there's a second reason why he praises God. Again, everything's gone. He's just worshiping God because of who God is. Second thing is this. He's resting in the Lord's sovereignty. He's resting in the Lord's sovereignty in our life. In your outline, look what it says. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. In your outline, circle the word sovereign Lord. You know what that means? That means that God rules, he reigns, he's ultimately in control. Now, God's given you a free will, but guess what? God is sovereign even over all the free will of this world. I mean, what the Bible says, what people intended for evil, God bends toward good. The book of Ephesians starts off by saying that God works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his good will. Now, this is a verse that probably all of you memorize. If you haven't, you need to memorize it. It's Romans 8.28, right? I mean, look at this verse. It's incredible. Romans 8.28, Paul says, again, this context is suffering. We know 
That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you love God and you press into God, you know what the promise is? That all things are going to work together for good. That that God literally is going to take all the things that are in your life and he's going to weave them together into something good. Now, he's not saying that all things in your life are good. They're not. There's a lot of evil things. There's a lot of bad things in your life. But our God is so great. He is so good. He is so powerful that he's able to curve all things together for his glory and your good. But you've got to trust him. In fact, that word, work together, it's used in knitting. It's used in um, weaving. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, if you've ever seen those tapestries before. These handmade tapestries. I mean, they're beautiful, aren't they? But you know, if you look at the back side of a tapestry, like this picture here, what is it? Man, it's just a bunch of jumbled strings. And you, you look at your life, this side of heaven, and you know what it is? It's just a bunch of jumbled up strings. But I got good news for you. The God who is God over all the one whose thoughts toward you are more numerous than the sand of the sea, the God who has orchestrated and looked over your life, all of your life, you know what he's done? He's taken every one of the strings of your life, the millions of strings of your life, and he is weaving them together. The evil things done to you, the hard things that you've walked through, he's weaving them all together. And this side of heaven, we look at it and go, God, this doesn't make sense at all, right? But now look at the front side of that tapestry. It's something beautiful. See, God is weaving something beautiful in your life. And here is Habakkuk who's losing everything, and yet he says, God, I'm still going to find joy in you and rejoice you and praise you and thank you. Why? Because you are worthy. You're my Savior and you're sovereign God, and I can trust you with everything in my life. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, We appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.